Kierkegaard, going through the Beatitudes and Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' famous sermon. So I'm going to read them again, then we're going to look at verse 7. Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to read 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, just thanks for just another week we can come together and gather together. Lord, we thank you for the gift of life. And Lord, we thank you for just the freedoms that we have to worship you. So help us to always be awake to that reality. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as we look at this beatitude this morning, that we as a church would be merciful. That we would grow in being merciful merciful. The Holy Spirit, I pray you remove every distraction and every objection to our pursuit of being people of mercy. Lord, I pray that you'd lift up the EE family again and just comfort them this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd bring people around them that would overwhelm them by your grace and they would see Jesus. And if they don't know you, they would come to know you. Lord, I pray you be with those this morning who are just struggling emotionally or spiritually or physically, that you just strengthen them. Or there are people who are hurting and they don't even know how to express it, so I pray you should help them just to know that you are with them, that you love them, and that your grace is unbelievable for us. And I pray you just comfort them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We are not a very merciful society. We're not as merciful as I think we think we are. Uh, Americans think they're very merciful, but I don't think we're as merciful as we think we are. Remember the movie Karate Kid, the original Karate Kid movie? Remember that scene at the end when there's Danielson, he's going up against the, the bad squad, and what's the coach say? No mercy. Just they zoom in on there. He's no mercy. Sweep the knee. No mercy. And you're watching that. You're like, that guy's mean. He's terrible. I can't believe he's doing that. And you, we, we want revenge. We, we don't think we're, we want revenge, but we do. Because if you watched Karate Kid 2, you remember when they started up again and the coach comes out and Mr. Miyagi doesn't punch him, but the coach gets his two fists busted in the window. All of us are like, yes, he got what he deserved. Thank you. Or what about the movie, It's a Wonderful Life? It's almost, it's going to be Christmas time pretty soon here. 
Remember that movie? It's, it's not as showed as much as it used to be. It's my favorite movie of all time. I know it's crazy, but it is. <laughs> At the end of that movie, Mr. Potter had ripped him off, and nothing happens to him. They leave Potter in his wheelchair wealthy. It drives me nuts. Saturday Night Live, a few years ago, they, they made a remake of a skit of that, of that show, what we all wanted to happen to Potter. And they had everybody come in and just beat him to a pulp. And uh, just, that's what we all feel like when you watch that movie at the end. You want him to pay. But we're supposed to be merciful people. We, we aren't as merciful as we think. And neither was the culture that Jesus was talking to, to the Jews and the people of his day when he said this beatitude. Jewish culture at that time, they looked at mercy as the least of the virtues. They only thought that if someone did something merciful to you, you should be merciful to them. But as far as that, mercy was the least of virtues. And for the Romans, they saw mercy. One of their men wrote, mercy is the disease of the soul. So when Jesus spoke this beatitude to the people in his day, They would not have jumped at that and said, yes, we're merciful, that's great, let's be merciful. They didn't see mercy as a good thing at all. They saw it as a weak virtue, and the Romans, they despised it. And if you think of all of our culture today, as Americans, even as we sit here, we may think we're merciful, but babies are killed by abortion every single day in our culture. The weakest of the weak. And we let that go on. And we let that go on. We're not as merciful as we think we are. As a culture and as a society. But what about us as Christians? How about you? Do you value mercy? Or do you display mercy? Or is it your motto just to don't get mad, get even? Is that that your motto? That's how you view your life? The way you know if you are merciful is, what about when someone you love, someone you care about deeply, when someone you love and care about gets hurt, or someone hurts them, does mercy rise up in you for the person that did that to them? Or are you out to destroy them? Whatever it takes, by your attitudes and your actions. Someone hurt someone I love, and so no mercy should be shown to them. Is that your attitude? What about how you design your life? Have you designed your life in such a way that you have isolated yourselves from all the needs of the world? There's so much information. There's so much pain in the world. There's so many situations that you just don't want to hear about it. So you shut the TV off when something new comes on, a new need comes on, a heart-wrenching story comes on. You just say, I don't have the emotional capacity to deal with it. I don't want to have to deal with it. So I'm just going to shut it off and live in my little world and my little life. And I'm just going to deal with my problems. Is that how you're living life? Is that merciful? Mercy is not a natural quality. If we really think about it in our lives, mercy is not a natural quality. It's an expression of a Christian. Jesus has given these beatitudes, and he's saying this is what a follower of me is. It's a description of a Christian. If you are a Christian, if you're a follower of me, You're blessed and you're merciful. 
So are you merciful? This morning we're looking at it four ways. The, a mirror of mercy, the meaning of mercy, manifestation of mercy, and the motivation of mercy. Mercy is a mirror. When you read this beatitude, blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy. It should be a mirror, and it is a mirror for us. And I'm preaching to myself this morning as much as I'm preaching to you. Why should you care if you're merciful or not? The reason that we should care if we are merciful or not is because it is a mirror to us of if we're even Christians, if we're in the faith. 1 John 3, 17 and 18. Flip over there real quick. 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 through 18 says this. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The book of 1 John was written so that you may know that you have eternal life. And one of the ways you'll know if you have eternal life is if you're merciful. Because if you see somebody in need, if you see somebody who is hurting, and you don't try to meet that need, the Bible says, how? Is the love of God in you? It's not in you. Mercy is a mirror for us. And Jesus said also, it's a test for us. Are we in the faith? Are we truly Christians? A true Christian will be about mercy. In James chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, says this, For judgment is without mercy. To one who has shown no mercy, mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. The reason you need to listen, and the reason that I need to listen to this beatitude, is because it's a mirror for us, and it should reflect to us, If you are a Christian or not, a Christian will have mercy. If you can see in yourself mercy, if you see that in your life, you can have confidence that you're a Christian. If you don't see that in your life, then the test of Scripture says you might not be a true believer. And the whole nature of the Beatitudes say this. They're all taken together. It's a description of a Christian. They are, it's an inclusio. You cannot separate them. You can't pick six of them and say, that's what I want to be, and then I'll leave these two out. You can't do that. It is what a Christian is. It's all together. And so the question is, are we merciful? There was somebody who was out in the late 80s trying to deal with some homeless people, and he came across this woman, and he wrote about her, and he said this, a once beautiful woman, Angela, is withering away in front of the library on our urban campus. She wears many layers of clothes. They are plastered on her brittle body, like clashing layers of peeling paint. She doesn't have socks on, but it's cold, and the weather is growing hostile. I offered her food once, but she rudely rejected it. She turns away abruptly when I try to talk to her. Stung with bitterness, I recoil. But then I gradually began understanding how prejudiced we are with expectations of the poor. My arrogant expectation of gratitude kills the goodness of the deed. She is hungry, exposed, and sick. Yet I resist reaching out because she might not welcome me. Which one of us is truly sick? 
Angela, you're a mirror thrust before us. But can we bear the sight? Matthew 25, the passage that Jan read this morning, says also that Jesus says, listen, a true Christian is going to care and be merciful. He's going to do that if you're not a Christian. If you're not doing that, you're not a Christian. That's what Matthew 25 says. So we should care this morning if we measure up to this. Because for some of us, it should leave with great confidence that, yes, I'm a Christian. But for some of you who think you are, this might be the day you wake up to realize, maybe I'm not, and I need Jesus. Mercy is a mirror to us. We have to be careful as a church also, I think. Here at Cornerstone, we have the food pantry. And I think as a church, we can all feel pretty good about it. We feed people every other Tuesday out here. My church has got a food pantry. Yeah, I'm a merciful person. I go to a church that's got a food pantry. People come out there and get food. I've never given a dollar to it. I don't volunteer at it. But I help poor people because my church has got a food pantry. And if you're not careful, and if we're not careful as a church, we can assume that we're merciful. And yet there may be no mercy in your life whatsoever. So this morning, I think as we look at this as a church specifically, we need to ask ourselves deeply, is this a mirror that reflects you? Or is this a mirror that you think reflects you, but really it's just a carnival mirror that you've created in your mind? Are you merciful? Mercy is essential to being a Christian. It's a test to see that we are in the faith. It's part of the Beatitudes that all describe what a Christian is. So what is the meaning of mercy? What is it then? I'll tell you what mercy is not. Mercy is not being mute on matters of truth. In our culture, everybody wants to say, hey, I'll do what I want to do. You do what you want to do. It's not going to hurt anybody. And we can assume that we're just being merciful. We're just being kind. We don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. That's not at all what Jesus was talking about when he said being merciful. It's not being mute about the truth. We cannot say sin does not matter. To actually say sin doesn't matter and to not speak up about truth demonstrates that we're not merciful at all. So if you think being merciful is just being quiet and not dealing with truth, you're missing it. That's not what Jesus is talking about. That's not mercy. Mercy is not being just soft. Mercy is not just being easygoing and let things happen. Whatever people want to do, that's fine. That's not how Jesus describes mercy at all. Someone said true mercy recognizes the reality of sin and the fact that so many of our problems stem from our sinful ways of relating to one another. So mercy is not just being soft. It's not being mute against truth. But what is it? What is mercy? Mercy and grace are very closely related. They're talked about in Scripture almost uh, many times together. But grace, I think, is what God does to the undeserving. And mercy is what God does to the miserable. Mercy always has this sense of helping those in misery. There's a a sense of just being in misery and and being taken care of, helping somebody who is in misery being released. And that's hard. What do you do when your 12-year-old's having a birthday party and his cake is in the car and a guy hits your car and there's an accident and he 
He's ruined your whole day. He's ruined your car. What do you do? One of the greatest acts of mercy I ever saw my dad do was on my 12th birthday when my cake was in the car. And we're on Route 47 and 71. We're coming back from Romeoville. My mom pulls out. This guy comes down, running through our, runs through, smashes the car, ruins my cake. Has no insurance. He's driving, looking over at his girlfriend, having a little conversation. And my dad gave him mercy. And the guy still lives around here. So I've grown up as an adult, and I'm coaching soccer, and he sees me all the time. And he had, he's come up and says, every time I see you, your family, I, we, we, I feel guilty. Because this is what your dad did. This is, he let me go. He released me of my misery. I didn't know what to do. I was in college. I had all these bills. I hit your mom. And it was going to be, I didn't know what to do. But your dad released me. He had mercy on me. That's what mercy is. It's releasing people in mercy. It's relieving pain. It's relieving people in hurt. One of the greatest illustrations of mercy in Scripture is the Good Samaritan. Look over in Luke chapter 10 because we saw that sounds so good to do that. It's a great story. But what does that really look like to be somebody of mercy? Jesus had a lawyer come up to him in verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. And the lawyer says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So Jesus told him the story. And he said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, Take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go And do likewise. The question that the lawyer asked was, how do I have eternal life? And Jesus said, the way you have eternal life, the test is if you are a person of mercy. Would you do this? This is what a Christian would do. This was costly for this guy. He could have kept going. He could have walked past. Other people had walked past him. But yet this Samaritan, he walked up to this guy. He met him at his lowest point. He took the time to bind up his wounds. And then he spent money to take care of the guy, not just for a little while, until he was healed. And he said, hey, when I come back, I will repay you everything. To be merciful is to be, have costly generosity. That's what the Bible says in this story. What's it take to have eternal life? Jesus says, you have to be merciful. It's costly generosity 
Is that how you see mercy? Do you feel merciful because you've just given a couple dollars here and there? Or has there been a time when you say, I want to help out as much as I can. A Christian sees it as our need to be generous and should cost us something in our generosity. That's what mercy is. It's also, Jesus described mercy as costly generosity, releasing people in their misery. But another aspect of mercy is forgiveness. Jesus talked about this back in Matthew 18. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like this. There was a man who owed a huge debt, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay his master, ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, Out of mercy, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. And when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him. He began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him into prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what he had had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then their master summoned him and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So mercy is this for the Christian. Mercy is costly generosity. The Good Samaritan account tells us that. Is that your life? Mercy is also complete forgiveness. These are hard things for us. Because the Bible says if you're a merciful person, you will be generous and it will, you'll do it in a costly way. But you'll also be unbelievably forgiving. There will be no one you won't forgive. Is that you? It's compassion in action. It's our attitudes and our action. It's generosity and it's forgiveness. To be merciful is to bear the load for someone. It's costly to be merciful. It's inconvenient to be merciful. It's unfair to be unmerciful. And it's keeping our attitudes and our approach and our assumptions out of it. That's hard. But that's what Jesus demands in the Beatitudes when he says, Blessed are the merciful. That's what mercy is. Does that describe you? Before we go further to see how mercy manifests itself, I think we need to just stop and get a picture of mercy. I think we can sometimes become very comfortable with what we think mercy is, and we can conclude that because we think that's what mercy is, we're good. The greatest picture of mercy is when an innocent man was put on a cross who lived his life doing nothing but good deeds, healing the sick, taking care of and releasing the demonic, 
helping and helping and serving and serving. And then people said, no, we're going to kill you. And they put him on a cross. They took Jesus and they nailed him there. And they spit upon him and they hurled insults at him, the Bible says. While he's on the cross dying, it wasn't bad enough that they put him on a cross. They put him on a cross, a completely innocent man, and then they hurled insults at him. And while he's on the cross with a blood pouring out of his head, out of his side, out of his back, while he's on that cross, he looks at the people who are hurling insults at him, and he says this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When man had done his worst, Jesus prayed not for justice, but forgiveness, for mercy. That is the ultimate picture of mercy. Does your mercy match up? If you see mercy outside of that picture, you are shrinking what the Bible describes as mercy. Mercy says it is unbelievably costly. It's unfair. There's total forgiveness. That's what mercy demands. And well, how does it manifest itself? Mercy, there are, I think, are three ways of mercy that as a Christian we are called to as individuals and as a church. I think that one of them clearly is the mercy of injury, meeting people's needs. When people are in pain, when people are hurting, it's the call of Christianity to meet their needs. That's what Jesus did to go deep in people's pain. Not for a day, but for a lifetime. Is that how you see mercy? There's a mercy, I think, of injury, but there's also a mercy that I would say of fellowship that we need to be very careful of as Christians. That we are extremely careful, that we are very merciful when it comes to our fellowship with other people because we live in a broken world and we live in a situation where there's going to be conflicts and there's going to be misunderstandings, there's going to be confusion. But merciful people don't gossip. Merciful people don't slander. Merciful people don't degrade somebody. Merciful people don't let other people not be defended when they need to be defended. Augustine, one of our early church fathers, he had a huge table that he'd bring all kinds of people to, and thousands of people would have dinner with him, and he was very hospitable. But he had ingrained in his table, whoever, and this was for everyone to see when they came to eat there, Whoever loves another's name to blast, this table is not for him, so let him fast. He wanted to be very careful that anybody who came to his table, we are going to be a people of grace and mercy. So when there's offenses and there's hurts and there's wrongdones, which happen in a broken world, we're not going to gossip, we're not going to slander, we're not going to degrade, and, we're not going, and we are going to defend that's what Jesus' mercy demands, because that's what Jesus constantly did. And there's a mercy, I think, of injury, a mercy of fellowship. I think there's a mercy of evangelism that Christians are called to. Where we see that the most merciful thing that we can do is tell another person about Jesus Christ. Tell another beggar where to find there's a very famous video of Penn and Teller. I can't remember which one it is now. Who was confronted before a show, after a show, by a guy who was a Gideon. And he walked up to him and gave him a New Testament. 
and he gave the Gideon to him, and, and uh, the, the, this, I think it's Teller. Teller's a, um, an avid atheist, highly intelligent guy, very entertaining, but he's a complete atheist. And so the man came up to him, and he gave him this New Testament, and he said, I really liked your show, I really appreciated it, and he said, uh, and he starts sharing the gospel with him. And right after that, Teller went to his dressing room, and you can still see this video on YouTube, and he starts just talking about this. And he said, you know what? This, this man did this to me in a genuinely truthful, loving way. And he goes, you know, I, I've never, I'm not against proselytizing. He goes, I've always said, how much do you have to hate a person? If you really believe in hell, if you really believe people are going to hell for eternity, how much do you have to hate a person not to tell them? We need to see as Christians that There is a mercy of evangelism. If we really believe people are dying and they're going to spend eternity away from Jesus in hell forever, the most merciful thing that we can do is open our mouths and tell them about it. That's the most merciful thing that we can do if we really believe that. Mercy manifests manifests itself in all these ways. Is that how you see your mercy? That is a heavy load for us, Jesus says. This is what mercy is. Dig down deep and give generously. Give till it hurts. Give till it costs you more than you think that you can pay. The early church used to do this. This is how people were known in the early church. Hundreds of years ago, people were known for this. That Christians would literally fast for two or three days to save up the money that they would use to eat so that they could help out another brother or another person in their town that they knew was hungry. They literally would not eat so they could use that money to give to somebody else who was hurting. How is that possible? That sounds so foreign to us. That sounds like against us. We feel really good because we, we feed people every Tuesday or every other Tuesday. We feel really good because we take an offering every once in a while. We feel really good because we, we help out. And those are all good things. But how are we going to meet the standard of mercy that God calls for? What is the motivation of true mercy? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This is what a Christian does. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Is this saying that if I do these things, then God's going to give me mercy? So the way I get my salvation is by earning it, by doing mercy, and then I get it? That's not what it's saying at all. It would be impossible. If that's what Jesus was saying, that the way you are going to get mercy someday is by being merciful, none of us have any hope whatsoever. We've already failed that. There is absolutely no hope for us. So how is this true that blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy and they alone will receive mercy? True mercy is absolutely impossible in our power. If you've been hearing all this and thinking, how am I going to do that? That's not how I've been showing mercy. I don't dig down generously as much as I should. I could have done more for the offering. I could have done more of this. I could have done more of this. It's very oppressive to us. It will crush you. And that was what Jesus' point was to the lawyer at the time of the story of the Good Samaritan. He was trying to show the lawyer, listen, you're right. What I demand is absolute mercy. And if you can do absolute mercy, you can have eternal life. But the truth is you can't do it. 
And he was trying to get the lawyer to see, you can't be like the Good Samaritan by yourself. It's impossible for you to be like the Good Samaritan. But there was one who was and is the Good Samaritan. Mercy left to ourselves is impossible, but it's through the power of the gospel that we can be a merciful people. It's through the power of the gospel that we are a merciful people. When you see what Jesus did for you, when you see Jesus on the cross and you realize it was you that put him there, that he died for you, you were the one hurling insults at him. It was your sin that nailed him to the cross. You killed Jesus by your unmercifulness. When you see that, and you realize that you are poor in spirit, and you are bankrupt to do anything about that, and you mourn over that, and then you see the need to be meek, and you want to put other people before you, and you want to pursue that righteousness that he only can give you, you will be, and you are, merciful. Forgiveness will come when you see that whoever offended you, the offense that they did to you is in nowhere compared to the offense that you did to Jesus. When you see that, forgiveness will come. When you see that what they did to Jesus cost him more than what it's going to cost you to help somebody in need, then mercy will come. When you see the gospel and hold on to the gospel and say, I can't be as merciful as I'm supposed to be, but I see that Jesus was merciful for me, so I'm going to look to Jesus and I'll look to his righteousness and I'm just going to serve him, mercy will come. And you'll do it out of joy. 2 Corinthians 8, when the people were in great poverty, 2 Corinthians 8, chapter 2, says this, were in a severe test of affliction. These people were poor. They had absolutely nothing to give this church in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to, the, to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he has started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. These people who were absolutely poor had nothing to give. What they did know was they looked to the gospel. They saw Jesus, and they said, you know what? Jesus was absolutely poor for us. And if he was absolutely poor for us, then we can give in joy, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed. They looked to Jesus, and as they looked to Jesus to see what he did for them, and they embraced the gospel and realized that that's the grace that they received, they were able to forgive the greatest offenses they were able to give, even out of their deep poverty. Our only hope is Jesus. If you are merciful, 
It's because you have seen the mercy that Jesus has given to you, and you keep going back to it over and over again. And by going back to it, you say, yes, because you did this for me, I freely will give, 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 and forgive. So are you a person of mercy? You can be confident that you are because of Jesus. Are you expressing mercy? Have you received the mercy and grace of Jesus? It is a gift to us. Mercy cannot be earned. It's a gift that is to be received. Jesus says, come to me, and I will give this to you. I am poor for you. I spent my life for you. I will give you mercy. And we receive it, and we pass it on because we are poor in spirit, and we know it, and we keep going back to the cross. We see what Jesus did, and we are thankful. We take his righteousness, and mercy is not a burden to us. It's a gift that we receive and we give. Are you merciful? Do you need to grow in your mercy? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Not only in this life, but in the life to come, we will spend eternity by the grace and mercy of God on us. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Oh, you rescue the souls of men. Counselor, comforter, keeper, spirit, we.
Sonne. 